detail over today. So I think you'll enjoy it. I have some charts to get through. But let's look at where we're at, going verse by verse by God's grace through the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 7. Once again, so good to see everyone here. It's an honor to serve you on a beautiful day like today. Look at what the scriptures teach us here in verse 7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Okay, that's starting in verse 7. Now go to verse 17. Have confidence in your leaders. Obey, as the King James says, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. The Bible also says they have rule over you. This rule is not a a domineering rule, but is a rule of, of guiding you and helping you because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this, that their work would be a joy, not a burden, for that would be a no benefit to you. And then he says, pray for us that we can have a clear conscience, desire to live an honorable and holy life, and peculiarly urge you to pray that we can get restored to you. And so there's a detail there who I believe Paul is the author wanting to come and see them. Everybody say, follow your leaders. Or as the child, uh, you know, little song, go follow the leader of the child's game. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 just so you can see that's also in the scripture. There's a little bit of review here. Sometimes people say, hey, man, don't follow me. Just follow Jesus. Take their advice and stop following them. Stop hanging out with them. If a pastor says that, stop going to the church. If uh, they say that to you, stop buying their books. Because anybody who says that, though they're trying to be humble and be cute, it actually is against God's word. Paul said it like this, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. If someone is not telling you that, then they're not worthy to be followed. So it's not like, uh, you know, like don't follow me, but kind of follow me type thing. No, either say what you mean. I'm supposed to follow you or I'm not supposed to follow you. Don't say don't, don't follow me, just follow Jesus. And then you expect me to come to your church, expect me to read your book and do all of that. Does everybody get it? Yeah, don't follow me, man. Just follow Jesus. Okay, I'm out of here. I'm going to follow Jesus over here to a church that you can follow somebody. I don't say that to my kids. Hey, don't follow me. Just follow Jesus. They better follow me in that house. Amen? Now, here's the idea. Does the leader ever take the place of Jesus? No, I mean, that's, that's, that's what the problem is, is that then you got on the flip side, the flippity-flop, like one, one group over here is like, don't follow me, just follow Jesus. Like, that's all effeminate. And then over here is like, I'm Bishop so-and-so, you better follow me if you want a blessing of my anniversary's coming up, sow a seed. I'm, I'm your man of God of faith and power for the hour. Say amen, you know. And they may not always sound gospel-orientated. Sometimes it just, you know, may come across like, hello, everybody. I'm Joe Lothstein. I just want you to follow me and my example of faith. And, you know, and God bless him for his example like that. But there's too much attention on that man. And then when he gets exposed, like, hey, man, who's going to heaven or hell? Do Mormons go to heaven or hell? Well, I don't know. I'm just following Jesus. Man, you ain't following Jesus. You may be spiritual, but you ain't got the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to tell you about heaven or hell. Amen? So, so it's, it's, it's flipped on both sides. One side says, hey, nobody's perfect. Don't follow me. Don't listen to that. Another group says, Oh, you got to follow me. I'm so smart. I'm so wealthy. I'm so blessed. You've got to listen to me. No, no, no. It's right in the middle. Follow me as I follow who? Christ, as I follow Jesus. So in this church, follow my example. Chew the meat, spit out the bones. But you better find an example of, of my life to imitate. Otherwise, I don't have the qualifications to be up here. Amen? 
Let me give you some examples of me as a godly leader, just so you know who you're dealing with. We always got new people, first-time visitors, or those joining the church, and those who have been around for a while acting like they're visitors, but I'm not going to point too much over them, but good to see some people back, you know what I'm saying? You know, anyways, uh, it's good to have you back, and we love seeing people. If we don't see you for a while, we don't mean to embarrass you, but we love you. But, but here's the deal. My life has been 28 years serving Jesus. November 5th, 1995, I gave my heart to Jesus. So here's some examples. Number one, when I gave my heart to Jesus, the continual sin left. I didn't become sinless, but I've sinned less every day. I'm going to say it again. Some of you went over your head. That's why you got to come to church ready. Amen? I have, I have not become sinless. That means that I still have sinned since being a Christian. But since being a Christian, I have sinned less. Okay, that's a testimony. So that means if you looked at the Joe of November 5th, 1995, and the Joe November 5th, 2003, there's a difference. I don't smoke cigarettes like I used to. I don't do drugs. I didn't have sex outside of marriage after that point. I didn't look at pornography from 96. last fight I got in when was, was 95, praise God. And we got into a fight on my job, and I was cussing them out, and I was speaking in tongues. I didn't know which one was working best, you know, but I want to try both, um, you know. And then all these things of maturity came after that, learning to be more teachable, humble. Okay, so you should be able to track my life and say, hey, if God did that for Joe over these last 28 years, and he can do to me. How many want to give up some things? How many want to live holy? How many want to grow in their maturity? Amen. So there's 28 years of a testimony of that. Now let me go to another example. 2005, June 19th, I got married to my boobster boo. What's up, boobster boo? Wave to everybody so they know who it is. Yeah, my dude was waving. You're not my boobster boo, dude. Oh, you, oh, you were pointing back there? So I was Okay. Because I was like, well, my boobster boo, and you were like, and I'm like, no, man, we ain't rolling like that. The only rainbow we got is after the flood, amen? It's judgment. Can't get, get right or get left. Now my boots to boot. Come and wave everybody. See, that's my boots. No, uh, June 19, 2005, we got married. So now that's, that's 18 years of marriage. Marriage in May, June 19, 2023. Okay, you want to see some examples in there? I have never cheated on my wife. I've never been tempted to go with another woman in the sense that I entertained it. I should say I've been tempted, but I never entertained a temptation, nor did I give into uh, relationships, being alone with girls, talking to girls uh, that aren't my wife, uh, you know, a, a texting them, having them on the internet, or anything. Can I hear an amen to that? That's a testimony. And then after a few years, we started making babies. My oldest is right there, Bethany. Why don't you raise your hand back there? Everybody go, hey, Bethany. Amen. So that's my boobster boo, and that's my Bethany boo right there, okay? And my Bethany boo, she's turned uh, 14. You know, she, she was born a while back, like 14 years ago, but going to turn 15 is what I'm trying to say, December 10th. December 10th, going to turn 15 years old, so pray for me. I have a teenager, and I have another one right there. But then we had six children after that. Now, here's the testimony with this. I haven't lost my mind, and they haven't lost their life. Praise God. Come on, y'all. I mean, I know that might be a low standard, but I had to start somewhere. I never thought I could keep my mind with six kids. Six kids can cost you your mind. I mean, am I talking to anybody here right now? Sometimes when I used to have one child, I was like, oh, man, I want to have a lot more. And then my friends would come over, and, they, and then their kids would be acting all crazy. So then maybe they would have two kids, and I would have two. And they'd be like, are you sure you can handle this? And I was like, no, I'm not sure, but I don't want my kids as crazy as yours. I want them like mine, you know, because mine ain't as crazy. Because they would bring them over, and there would be all this mess and everything. I'm like, I, I want more kids, but not like yours. Everybody get what I'm saying? But by God's grace, I've kept my mind. 
mind, and they've kept their life. Notice this. I've never cussed them out. They've never seen me drunk. They've never seen me lay hands on their mom or yell at their mom. They've never seen me not come home a night that I didn't know where I was traveling to preach. How many know that's an example worth following in this culture? Amen. So, so right there, you got three examples, and I haven't even got to the Bible yet. I haven't even got to the Bible. I'm talking about this stuff works. I'm, I can tell you right now, I have never lived a more happy life. There is no temptation that I entertain of the good old days. I'm telling you, man, I've gotten so far from the good old days, I've said this before, and I mean it, now those are nightmares. When I close my eyes and I have a dream, and I'm with so-and-so girl, and then we're doing this, or I'm out with my friends, I wake up in cold sweats, and I'm like, touching my baby, are you still here? Because that is a nightmare to me now. Man, just having sex without having my lover, my burps to boo, man, sex is nothing without that. Having, having my friends or money, and I was arrested eight times before I was, uh, you know, before I was an adult. Having, having crime in my life and drugs and, and not being with my daughter, that's a nightmare. Come on, somebody. Some of my friends had kids at 15, 16-year-old. They're already grandparents. I know I look like and sound like I could be a grandpa, but I'm not, you know. But, man, those are nightmares. Somebody say Nightmares. I'm telling you, I'm not saying I don't get tempted. I'm just saying to entertain it. Like, oh, wouldn't it be fun to smoke weed, drink till you get drunk, and have sex with girls you don't know, and two weeks later be at the clinic? No, that's like hell to me right now. That's like hell, man. I love my family. I love my jammy jams, being at home, watching Lord of the Rings, you know, with my kids, eating popcorn, man. That's like a dream to me. I would rather be there than anywhere else than with my kids, you know, hanging out with my wife. I remember when I first got married, we were playing video games, and, you know, this is the day you had to link the Xboxes together. By the way, your church was started from a Bible study that came from Halo Nights, video games at my house, okay? So we were playing video games, and the guy asked me about Jesus, and we started talking about it. But uh, we... We would be doing all these uh, linked up Xbox games. We had multiple TVs in my apartment and all of that. And I remember one time this dude who was, uh, I think he was married before me. I don't want to say his full name, but it starts with an H. You know who I'm talking about. Okay. Were they married before us? Was H married? Okay, so they were married before us. And he didn't like being with his wife. And my wife was always hanging out with us. And he was like, man, why is your wife here? Don't you know it's just a guy's night? And I'm like, dude, listen, there ain't nothing you got that I want more than my wife. Are you listening to me? Man, there ain't nothing you got more that, that I want more than my wife. I want my wife, man. I want her with me everywhere. I've tried to take her fishing until she yells at me. She gets bored. She Take me home now, but I will take her fish. I will take my wife with me everywhere because I love her. I'm not saying that I can't have dude time. Every now and then you got to be alone with the dude, whatever. But how many know that if you love that person, you're always going to want to be with them? I love my wife. I'll, she decides not to be with me. She decides. Seriously, she, I, I go snowboarding during the winter, which is coming up, and then I go wakeboarding in the summer. And when I get around those dudes, they're like, man, where's your wife? Man, because some of those people, they have their wives around there. And I'm like, she's at home. And then sometimes they want to slip in like a little bit of an insult. Oh, man, that must suck. Or that must be like that. And I'm like, hold up now. I get like a little Will Smith. Take my wife out your mouth, man. My wife is the best. My wife, I don't care if she don't wakeboard. I don't care. She's my best friend. She said her hobby is shopping. Okay, I let her have her hobby. She's going to shop. I have my hobbies. Amen. Can I hear an amen to that? Now let's talk about the Bible. And somebody get out a calculator right here because I don't have it off the top of my head. 28 years times two hours a day on average I spend with Jesus. Oh, So let's go like this. 365 times two hours. No, 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 no. Uh, yeah, 365 uh, days in a year times two hours. 365 times two is what? 
730 hours a year times 28 years. How, many, how much time have I spent alone with Jesus? 20,440 hours I spent with my Jesus. And I feel like I only know him this much. He always surprises me, gives me things about his character that I have never seen before. How many are still walking and talking with Jesus? I've spent over 20,000 hours with Jesus, and he's real. I'm telling you that right now. I'm not talking to myself. How many know you can still talk to yourself and not be crazy, though? I talk to myself, and I'm not crazy. You ever argue with yourself? Come on, I've argued with myself. You ever disappointed yourself? Come on, look at your high school, high school yearbook. You know, you know you're disappointed. Look at your old boyfriends and girlfriends. You know you disappointed yourself. Let's just be honest. We all have. I've argued with myself. At this point, but I know that's not me when I'm, I'm spending 20,000 hours alone with Jesus. Jesus has told me things when I was alone that I know it was Him talking about my wife. I had broken up with her at one time, we were dating, believe it or not, and I was the jerk, I was the one that cut it off really, really harshly. And uh, she had to take me back, but I got that when I hung out with Jesus. I was praying, and the Lord said, That's your wife, that's your that's what the Lord told me. And here's a prophetic uh, confirmation of that my dad is not normally gifted in prophecy or understanding things about the future. But when he met Nancy, and at that time I was a youth pastor, she was my administrator. When he met her, he said, that's Joe's wife. I was not even dating her. Uh, I didn't know all the story. At that time, she had uh, something for me. She was liking me, but I didn't like her in that way yet. But my dad met her and said, I believe that's your wife. Am I not telling the truth? And then I did go out with her for a little bit, and then I broke up with her, and I went to my dad, and I said, Dad, now what? You know, I almost was like trying to be a little snotty. I'm like, now what, Dad? What about your word? I broke up with her, you know? And he said, and this is what I love about my dad, and I, and I stand true to this even when God speaks to me. This is what he said. I don't know, but this is what I can tell you. I felt that. He said, I can't speak to what you went through, why it didn't work out, but he stood on that word. And guess what? It was only a few months later that I came back. Hey, Dad, guess what? I'm, I'm dating that girl Nancy again, and guess what? I believe that's my wife. And so his word came to pass. Amen. So don't let people discourage you when you hear a word from the Lord. So, yes, when I tell you that I've spent 20,000 hours with Jesus, I'm talking about hours that change things. I'm talking about having to go through ups and downs in the ministry, ups and downs in my own mind. One of the hardest times that I had, if Jerry and Tony were here, they could tell me because it was when they got married. I flew out to Arizona to go do their wedding, and it was partially because of the time difference and everything I went through and then what happened on that trip that was the closest thing to a nervous breakdown or anxiety attack that I've ever really dealt with as a, a Christian, as a pastor. So it was probably, what, 10 years ago when she got married? Maybe 10 years? So we were, I, I took a flight to Arizona. I got there late at night, went and did their wedding, and then I was taking a red eye to come back. So basically, I, would, I would, had been up for like, you know, in 48 hours, I'd only slept like two hours. Everybody get what I'm saying? Well, as I'm driving to the airport, I get the call from one of my friends Yo, so-and-so, who's my closest friend in the ministry at that time, has cheated on his wife, and they found out he got the secretary pregnant. That's what I just heard. Now, you got to understand, that she got married sometime in January, so it was a month before that that I was at his church. He had picked me up for a conference to do with his church, and when he picked me up, he had the girl in the car. The wife wasn't even in the car. So, man, this messed my head up. Like, dude, you're so, you're so like, like hard-headed, man, and brass with your sin, and brazen with your sin, rather, that you picked, up, you picked me up, the conference speaker, with your, with your adulterous affair girl in the car. 
And then he had me do the whole conference. I'm doing the whole conference, preaching my guts out, trying to love on his people. And then it was just a few weeks later, it comes out that he had cheated on his wife. Man, my heart started beating so fast. Everything started spinning. I, I honestly thought I was losing my mind. And you might think to yourself, what does that have to do with you? It just hit so close to home, the devil started whispering in my ear, you're next. Because he had six kids. I think he even was married before me. Was he married before me as well? Yeah, he was married before me. He had six kids. And most people would say he was better at ministry than me. Maybe a better preacher, nicer guy. I mean, just whatever you could say about him. And so the devil starts saying, you're next. I'm taking you out. If I could get him, I'm going to get you. And I remember coming home, telling my wife, man, I'm not feeling right. I feel like this is like anxiety. And she started to pray for me. She was willing to take me to a counselor. But her and my dad said, look, just start speaking the word. Stay true on your testimony and see if God will bring you closer to him through this. Now, I'm not saying anything wrong with uh, getting help, professional help. We actually do that here in the church when we can't offer uh, what the people need. So we don't in any way hinder it. We actually promote it and pay for three counseling sessions. Can I hear you, man, for a good church? Amen. We'll send you to the professionals because we know we can't fix it all here, okay? But uh, this was good advice for me, so I didn't become all hypochondriac, because it was a little bit of an overreaction. It was. And so I began to spend some time with the Lord, and God kept my mind through that time, and I can say, wow, look at how the Lord was faithful. So now, do you want to follow an example like that? How many want to stay true to God even in your hardest times? I've buried my sister. She died drinking and driving. We buried young people in this church. Some of you came to that funeral with our worship leader, who's now going to a different church, but he was changing a tire, and his 15-year-old was out helping him on the side expressway. Semi-truck tire came off, killed him, put him in a coma, you know, put him in the coma, and then he died in that coma. That was just this summer. So, I mean, how many know you've been through some stuff with Jesus? But your pastor has as well. You can follow that example. Let me give you a few more. I have memorized, I don't know, hundreds if not thousands of verses. How many know when the preacher only has this as his notes, he must know the Bible? This is my notes right here. This, this is it. I preached by God's grace an entire sermon in first service that I didn't even have written down. It came from a word of a young man during the time of uh, uh, praise and worship. We have a, a time for the word to come forth from others in the church to hear what God is saying, testimony as well. And this young man said, God set me free from pornography. I haven't done it in months. And the Lord has wanted me to tell you that anyone here dealing with it can get set free. Well, it was powerful, right? And so I come up, and I just feel like the Lord wants me to encourage people with that because I haven't looked at pornography pornography since 96. And so I start sharing that testimony. Well, I preach an entire message, verse after verse after verse, so I don't even have any notes. How many want to learn the Word of God like that? Bible says be ready in season and out of season. You should look to me as an example. I used to smoke weed. I couldn't even remember half of my friend's names, let alone preach a sermon from scriptures pulling it all together. I was a high school dropout at the age of 16. How did God use me to become eventually a, uh, a graduate with an associate degree, two-year degree? And I said, thank you, Lord, I'll never go back. And then he had me go back and get a bachelor's degree, and I said, thank you, Jesus, now we're done. And then he had me go back and get a three-year master's degree, and I said, thank you, God, I'm glad we're done. And then he had me get a doctorate degree. How many are glad that I went and got some degrees? Amen? You see, that's an example. That's an example right there, and maybe just one last one. By God's grace, from the time I got saved November 5th to this, uh, this weekend, I've been preaching the gospel publicly. That means a lot of people look at the pulpit, and they look at what they're going to do up here as their ministry. Since day one, whatever God put on my life as a gift, I've always taken it out there. Now, let me just tell it to you quickly where I've been, and you can see if you can find an example. I was born and raised in Fort Wayne, Indiana, a town of about 300,000. That's Rockford size, if you've ever been out there. 
I started preaching there downtown, and then I started going to the inner city where I used to get in trouble around eating green projects. Now I went out there to preach the gospel, feeding the needy. Within nine months of being a Christian, I went to New Orleans to Bible college, lived there for eight years, worked in nine different housing projects and downtown French Quarter where Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love and Trent Reznor, a lot of these hard rockers would score heroin. I would reach out to them on those street corners and been to about 20 Mardi Gras. And like I said, I've been to nine housing different projects, adopting blocks like you wouldn't believe, where uh, Master P, No Limit Soldier, was from Third Ward, Calio Projects to Magnolia, Hot Boys, some of you still have heard of Lil Wayne. Uh, these, these communities I adopted and did ministry there, got myself a CDL license so I could bring the kids to church that I would preach to. I would literally get out on a bus, go out to the communities, bring them into the church, preach to them, get them back on the bus and bring them home and give them some hot chips in between. Can I hear an amen? Come on, that's where I started. That's where I started. Then after that, God brought me here to Chicago and then I started working working on the north side, also visited Cabrini Green downtown. One of my favorite corners became Belmont and Clark. And then by God's grace, we started this church, adopted the block where we will be Thanksgiving on the west side, Chicago. And Cicero, can I hear an amen for that? We've been loving the west side for years. Always going to love it, Pulaski and Madison. All right, and then guess what? God has used me to go to two different countries. I've been to Mexico and to the villages and to the cities preaching the gospel in Chilapa, Nayarit, and I've been to India three times, and technically that would be uh, my third country, Nepal. We traveled over to Nepal, and we've preached the gospel to people who have never heard the gospel. How many think there's an example somewhere, somewhere there for you to follow? And this past weekend, I was preaching in front of the abortion clinic, and then a couple weeks before that in front of the high schools. All right, follow my examples. I follow Christ. Anybody taking notes? Come on, where are you going? How about living for Jesus, getting saved in review? In review here, all glory to God, but where are the examples here? Here it is. Number one, get saved, live saved. Number two, find yourself a good spouse if you're called to be married and honor that marriage. If you're called to have children, be a great parent. Then when it comes to spending time with Jesus, spend time with him alone. Just don't do it in church. Do it when you're alone. And then when it comes to studying the word of God, study it, memorize it, be able to preach the word in season and out of season. At the drop of a hat, you should be able to give encouragement to others. And then last but not least, take that gospel to anywhere the Lord leads you. As I always uh, uh, tease with TJ, TJ, would you wave your hand right here? See, TJ went, you know, uh, I went from the suburbs to the west side. I think he might call TJ from the west side to downtown Chicago or to Malibu Beach. Amen. Like, I, I want to see God flip and dip and change it all up. If he took me and dropped me on the west side, wouldn't that just be like him saying, TJ, you're called to go reach Malibu. Go, go reach Silicon Valley. Because I know surely I didn't fit in when I first got to New Orleans. When I got to the Calio Projects, when I got there, I certainly wasn't the one that they picked, as a matter of fact, to be their pastor. Normally, normally when they would get to know me, uh, you know, I could hear them talking amongst themselves as I was coming to pick other people up. You could always hear on the porch, is that your pastor? Because I was young back then, and I had long hair. And they're like, is that your pastor? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's my pastor. Oh, he looks good. That's your pastor. But he's young. Oh, yeah. he's. A that's how they would talk about me. And I would say, I can hear you. <laughs> And I would say, listen, it don't matter how I look on the outside, it's how I look on the inside. I am so serious. And God is my witness. Right out here, uh, a Boricua, a Puerto Rican woman got him in my face and said, white boy, this ain't your neighborhood. This is my neighborhood. Go back to where you came from. And I'm like, I've been around so much, I don't even know where I came from anymore. Where do you want me to go back to? You want me to go back to New Orleans, baby? You want me to go back to the suburbs of Fort Wayne, Indiana? Where do you want me to go back to? Because I've lived on Potomac and Lawndale right next to Humboldt Park, too. You want me to go back there? Come on, somebody say, get in where you fit in. 
That's how you can follow my example. Don't, don't be intimidated by your situations. Now, everybody say that's his example. Okay, now what's going to be your example? Go back to the scripture, please, of uh, Hebrews chapter 13. It doesn't just say have confidence in your senior pastor, that cool guy you listen to once a week. No, it says have confidence in your leaders, plural. How many leaders do I got in this place today? Come on, four of you? How many leaders do I have here today? Amen, leaders. Every single person's hand should be up and somebody should be saying an amen. Even if you haven't become a quote-unquote ordained leader in this church, you're called to be a leader. Every single one of you are called to be leaders. So what are you going to do with your gift? What are you going to do with your call? Look at your marriage. What kind of husband and wife are you going to be? What kind of child, those of you who are growing up in your parents' homes, what kind of young person are you going to be? You're going to be a leader? You're going to be a follower, right? That's two kinds of people. How are you going to be on your job? Some of you are natural-born leaders. It comes, it comes easy to you. Others, it's going to take you stepping out of your comfort zone. I would rather have a Christian lead in every department of life. I would rather a Christian be president than not a Christian be president. I would rather a Christian be a policeman than not, than not have a Christian be as a policeman. I would rather have a Christian teacher than not have a Christian teacher. You all listening to me? I would rather even have a Christian janitor. That's my uh, father-in-law did, my wife's father coming from Greece. He's a janitor. How many know if you got hurt or if he saw you and he's a Christian, he's going to pray for you? How many knows if he sees you getting jumped, he's just not going to pull out his phone and say, oh, I'm going to put this on World Star now. He's going to try to get in between because he's a Christian. How many know Christians do Christian things? Amen. I'm not talking about hypocrites. To hell with hypocrites. That's what the Bible said. Hypocrites go to hell. You can't, you, you can't get anything good out of a hypocrite. Amen. And may God forgive them. I'm not trying to send them to hell. I'm just saying to hell with everything the Bible says is a sin. I don't want that. I'm talking about real Christians. How many know real Christians are going to make a difference? Real Christians are going to change the world. Real Christians are going to change their families. Real Christians are going to change their neighborhoods. You can't just roll up and down my neighborhood any way you want because I'm a Christian. I'm going to see it. When I was out at the park in Elgin, in the suburbs, there were some people who looked like me cussing at the park. And I'm like, no, 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 baby. No, we didn't, we, we didn't, we didn't come out here to hear this right now. And they're just like, F you, dude. And I'm like, no, we ain't talking like that here. And they looked at me all sassy. Well, what are you going to do about it? I'm going to go tell your dad is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go find your parents. I said, because you're not cussing like that here. And then they began to kind of make fun of me. But how many know Christians will do Christian things? You're not going to let people destroy your part. You're not going to let people take over the block. You're not going to let your job go down to hell in a handbasket. You're not going to let your schools go down. You're going to stand up for something righteous. And that's what we're called to do as leaders. Now, brother, would you put up this chart here? Because there's been different calls on different leaders throughout the Bible. And I think this is going to help clarify to you what I was trying to say last week. Not that one, but the new one, please. As if right, yeah, there we go. Everybody say Israel age, church age. Somebody say kingdom age. Amen. This is what I was trying to talk to you about last week because so often when we look at the Bible, we don't understand how to take all that we've been told about leadership and see it in these categories because sometimes we say, oh, man, I want to be like David, and then your neighbor gets nervous because it's like, are you going to kill me with a, with a slingshot and then behead me and then raise up my head and go, come get him, boys? But that's what happened with Goliath. How many know that's what happened? It's not like they just had a boxing match. David killed a dude, cut off his head, and lifted it up to the tribes of Israel and said, it's on now, go get him. Okay, well, if I'm telling you to be a leader, do you think I'm telling you to go do that? Do you think I'm telling you to go, come on, people, can you help me preach before we get accused of being extremists here? Do you think I'm asking you to go kill your enemy and behead them? No, but how many know there's leadership lessons there? 
Yeah, so it's a both and. See, some people in your culture uh, want you to be ashamed of David then. You see, on one side, they want to force you to be like it. Oh, man, you're, you guys are crazy Christian nationalists and all this, which is something we totally abhor. We don't subscribe to that at all. But then, then someone else on the other side is like, well, if you don't think that's an example like you should follow, well, then condemn it with me because your Bible's full of all types of wicked behavior. Remember, this is what turned Oprah off from Christianity, though she was raised in it. She said, when I started hearing the preacher say that God was a jealous God, then I started to say to myself, what would he be jealous over? I don't think he would be a jealous God. And then other people you've met have said, well, your Bible talks about him judging the Canaanites. How many have heard about the judgment of the Canaanites that happens after? So remember, he said, kill them all, man, woman, and child. How many know that's in your Bible? But if you meet somebody that's soft, that's not going to approve of that. They're going to say, man, look at your Bible. It's so full of contradictions and it's so full of immorality. Look at all the wickedness that, that God called them to do. You Christians, you say you're better than everybody else. Look at how you used to act back then. But everybody say Israel age. God's not contradicting himself when he says in one place, turn the other cheek. And in another place, he says, kill them all. There's different ages. You better know what age you're in. If the Bible says, and Nancy, get the scripture for me, please. If your sword was not bloody, you were cursed in the age of Israel. I showed that to my wife, and I love doing this with my wife because she's been a Christian for many years, even brought up in a Christian home, though she backslid and came back to the Lord as a teenager. When I show my wife scriptures, a lot of times she's like, man, I've read the Bible, never saw that. I'm all ready to show you one that maybe some of you have never saw before, that there was a curse on an Israelite if his sword didn't get bloody. Did you find it for me, boo? Put it up there, please. Jeremiah 48.10. I memorized a lot, but not all of it. Amen? I know. I need some help every now and then. Phone a friend. Look at Jeremiah 48.10. This is the age of Israel. Every man you call to war. Only if you've got recently married, then you get to wait a little bit before you go out. A curse on anyone who is lax in doing the Lord's work. Oh, I do the Lord's work, Pastor. I go to church. I read my Bible. You better know what age you're in. A curse on anyone who keeps his sword from bloodshed. Did you know that was in the Bible? The Bible says there's a time for war and there's a time for peace. You're in that age and you don't want to fight, you're a coward. You're in the age of David, and you say, oh, David, let's just try to have crumpets and tea with them. Let's just try to talk it through. No, no, we're done talking. God said go conquer. Are you ashamed of that? I'm not ashamed of that at all because even in the age that we're in now, there's still a just war. We don't fight on behalf of religion anymore, but they certainly did right here. Let me take a side bar right here and help you to understand between us and Islam our major differences. You see, in Islam, they are still living in this age, though God took us out and put us in the church age. They went backwards. If you could show them, please, the chart again. You see, we have this thing that shows up, or this thing, rather. We have this person that shows up right here. Somebody say, Jesus. Amen. We have this person right up here that starts a new covenant and gets us out of this age, fulfills it, but never puts it down nor abolishes it. But the Bible says he fulfills it and brings it to fruition to prepare us for a kingdom age. Somebody say, a kingdom age. But you see, Muslims, when they come, they, they came uh, six, seven hundred years after Jesus, took away all that Jesus did and made them simply a prophet and said, really, this is the age that we're still in. That's why their jihad is allowed. Now, let me ask you a question. How can you argue with a Muslim based on their violence if both we have violence in our books? The Quran is actually based off the Old Testament. The majority of their prophets come from the Old Testament. Uh, the, the Muhammad said that he came to confirm the Old Testament. So how are you going to argue with them? 
You better bring them back to Jesus and understand the church age. You better understand that the nation of Israel has been blessed by God to be a nation, but we are not to fight on their behalf. They can fight for themselves. We can support them, but we are not to take up a holy jihad. So that's when I go back to the Muslims and I say, you're talking about jihad in the name of your religion. That's a false prophet right there. The Bible says to be warned against false prophets. Jesus is more than a prophet. He's the son of God. That's the first thing your demonized guy had wrong. If your demonized prophet tells me my man is just a prophet, my, my Jesus, my God man is just a prophet, right there you're wrong. Is everybody tracking with me? You got the wrong Jesus. Somebody say wrong Jesus. And then if you tell me the gospel isn't the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the, the Muslim says from the Quran, they did not kill him, nor did they crucify him, but it only appeared to, to be so. And those who are in conjecture are in doubt, okay? That's what the Quran says about him. Now you got a different Jesus and you got a different gospel. How many believe he was crucified? How many believe he was buried? How many believe on the third day he rose again? Well, see, that's what puts you in the church age. So now you see how they're wrong to go back to this age right here? And then they say they also accept Jesus? Well, we got a problem with them. You ever heard of the black Hebrew Israelites? Men dressing up like they're, they're Israelites, and they're out there on the streets preaching all of their hate and their racism. What they want to say is that they back in this age right here too. And they're no different than the white supremacist that's preaching racism in the name of God. Both of them will go to hell. The lost Republican and the lost Democrat will go to hell. The KKK and the black Hebrew Israelite will go, both of them go to hell for the same reason. They have the wrong Jesus. They have the wrong gospel. They have the wrong message. And we have to understand our message. So what was going on? Let's just put it in context right here. I have Joshua 3, 11 through 13. What was going on in this age? Well, God wanted to raise up a nation. He wanted his nation to be ruled as a theocracy. Sometimes you hear this today and people get scared. Like, oh, you, you Christians, you want the Bible and government. We're supposed to have separation of church and state. By the way, that was a Christian idea. That was, can I hear an amen to that? Go back to Dansbury Baptist and the letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote to them. That is a Christian asking that. Why does the pastor of Dansbury Baptist want to know about this issue that he puts in there, Thomas Jefferson, there will be a separation of church and state? Is because the Baptists were being dunked and drowned by the Calvinists, by the other Protestants that didn't think you baptized somebody after they were a child. Can I hear an amen to that? Y'all trust the pastor, but go look it up on your own, but say amen to some good history. Amen. The Baptist would be drowned by other Christians, not even just the Catholics. Don't get me started on what the Catholics did, and that's why to the Pope we say what? No, we ain't down with them. But listen, not only did the Catholics put people in their torture chambers, the Inquisitions. This was crazy, by the way. When we went to medieval... Times? Yeah. We went to medieval times out there in Hoffman by my house. Do you know that they have a part of their building dedicated to the Inquisition? Does anybody ever been there? Okay, some of us have been there. Did you go to the torture chamber area in the Middle Ages where they showed you the torture racks and all that? Do you know who was doing that? That was Christians doing that. That was priests doing that in the Inquisitions to other supposed Christians and heretics. But listen, that's not just the Catholics doing that. Protestants, those who broke away from the Catholic Church, did it to each other, and one of the worst ones that got persecuted were the Baptists because the Baptists did not believe in a child's baptism. They believed you had to have a believer's baptism, so you couldn't get baptized as a baby. You couldn't confess Christ, and we don't see anybody in the Bible get baptized as a baby. You only see adults or young adults getting baptized. Can I hear any amen to that? But you know how they tortured them? They said, you Baptists want to baptize everybody all over again. We're going to drown you. That's how they started killing them. 
Well, having said all of that, that's obvious that that's people acting out of Satanism, first of all. And then second of all, they're trying to put a theocracy in place. And so even when it comes to the United States of America, bad, good, or ugly, you know, heaven or hell, you can decide where everybody lands on that. But that pastor is writing the president going, hey, man, how are we going to handle these things? Because I'm a Baptist. I'm not Church of England. I am not a congregationalist. I'm a Baptist. Y'all going to kill me in the government here? And then that's what's, no, you're going to have church, separation of church and state. And the Baptist goes, oh, praise God. Amen. Now, how many can relate to the Baptist here? Even though we're Pentecostal, what are we? Baptocostal, baby. Amen. So you got to understand your age. We're not here trying to set up a theocracy. We're not here trying to take over the government. What we want to do is put disciples in the government, though. Jesus saying to the 11, minus Judas, getting replaced later on in the book of Acts, so there's going to be 12 disciples again. It says, then to the 11 disciples, or rather, when the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, where, when they saw him, some worshiped, but others doubted. Then Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and do what? Conquer the nations? Enslave all the people, become conquistadors, establish the nation of Israel. No, no. Therefore, go and make what? Disciples. Hallelujah. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Everybody say the age. Oh, did y'all see something right here? What, what does this say right here? Everybody say this for me, please. And then he said he'll be with us to the very end of the what? Age. What age do you think he's talking about? The church age. That's what he's talking about. We got an assignment. He says, I'm going to be with you to the end of this age. And I can show you when this age ends in Hebrews. We've already read it before, but it says that that age ended when Jesus became our high priest and our sacrifice. He then said to the folks at that time, the temple you still see now is soon to disappear. So we do not live by the law of the Jewish people. We live by the law of God that goes from the Jewish people to the Christian people. How many know there's a difference? I said, how many know there's a difference? Man, I'll start Hebrews chapter 1 all over again if you don't know there's a difference. How many know in the Old Testament law that they had to plant their vegetables a certain way? How many know they had to dress a certain way? They couldn't mix cloths. How many know that they had to take a certain day off? That's not what Jesus reiterates in the New Testament. Jesus does away with the dietary law. He said, y'all, whitewashed tombs, you look good on the outside, but on the inside, you're messed up. He said, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, it's what goes out of a man that defiles him. And by saying this, he declared how many foods clean? All foods clean. That's your Bible. That's the book of Mark. And then what does he say about on the Sabbath? They're picking grain. That doesn't seem like a big deal, but you die for that. That's considered work. You're picking something on a day that you're supposed to not be within a certain matter of feet from your house. Sabbath day's journey. You can only travel so far on the Sabbath day. So not only are they away from their home further than they should be, but they're picking grains. And then they're about ready to kill him for that. Man, the Jews didn't just want to kill him for him making himself out to be God. That's what they got him on the blasphemy charges with Rome. But they wanted to kill him for a whole bunch of reasons. And that's one of them right there. But what does he say? The Sabbath was not, or the man rather, was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for what? For man. And the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. 
So he said, man, I'm in charge of all this. And then what does Paul later on come and say? Let's go to Colossians chapter uh, 2, please. Let me just show it to you because sometimes you guys look at me strange when I say we don't follow the Jewish law. And, and, and this is where sometimes, like I said, the Hebrew Israelites, others are like, it's in the law and how long? Forever, forever. For, say it, yeah. And then they go back and forth and they take the mic from me every time or they yell over me and it just gets ridiculous. That's why I don't only debate them. I only debate them in a fair exchange. Amen. So some of you still mess with them on the streets. I would say be cautious with that because they take advantage of the show out there. I was in Dallas. I saw them out there, and I went and asked them a few questions. They said, why are you running Esau? They call me Esau. Why are you running Esau? Why are you? I said, I'm not running. I said, come talk to me right here. Just you, me and you, you know. Uh, but uh, it's funny because one time we've actually had them in the church in the back of the parking lot. They wouldn't come in. They thought this place would defile them. I don't know how many. Were, was anybody here for that? But there was about four or five of them. They couldn't keep up. See, when, they, when you take away the mic and the show and the, the costume party, they can't keep up. And I have many of those debates online. You can check them out if you don't believe. You can see how they keep up. Now look at uh, Colossians. Go to Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. This is Paul reiterating what we learned from Jesus in the new age. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. How many know that's a big deal in the Old Testament? That is what we judge you on, Jack. What you mean we ain't judging you on that anymore? That's what I judge you on, man. Where'd you get that animal from? Is that clean or unclean? And then here Paul is saying, don't let anybody judge you by that. But it even gets worse for them here. It says, or with regard to a religious festival. How many have ever had a Christian try to convince you you got to keep the Sabbath or you got to keep the Passover? You got Paul said, don't let them judge you on that. A new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are shadows of things to come. The reality, however, is found in who? Christ. Do you want my phone or the shadow of my phone? You want the phone, not the shadow. Do you want the, you want the law or do you want Christ? You want Christ. The law is a shadow of him. And so this is what we follow. Go to Galatians, uh, please. Go to Galatians chapter 3, I believe. We follow the law of Christ, which transcends all ages. The law of Christ is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Somebody help me find it. It's in Galatians, the law of Christ. Like I said, I wish I memorized it all. It's going to be... Um, I think maybe he, uh, Galatians chapter 3, let's go 318, we'll start there, no, uh, law, just put it, somebody put it in there, Google real quick, law of Christ, Galatians 3, y'all just guessing now, it literally just says the law of Christ, let me put it in here, no, no, it's in Galatians as well, law of Christ. Nancy, you're shouting it out now, but now I'm going to do it myself, amen. I'm going to take your word, it's in 6-2, though. There it is, 6-2. Give it up for Boobster, boo. Amen. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Notice what Paul says here. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill what? The law of who? Now, sometimes people try to say, well, all of it's the law of Christ. No, it's not. Paul and Jesus were very clear that the, and, and they came from God, very true, they both came from God, but Paul and Jesus are very clear that the 613 in their entirety are considered the law of Moses for the time of the Israel age. The law of Christ goes from both ages even into the kingdom age. And what do you think the law of Christ is? We hear a piece of it here at being described, but what do you think it is? It's the portions of the Ten Commandments minus the Sabbath. Sabbath is the only one that still has a, 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 a ceremonial law built into it. So if somebody says, man, you keep the Ten Commandments, I keep nine of them. And if you want to spiritualize the tenth one, as Paul says, Jesus is my Sabbath. So in that sense, you can say I keep it. But there's one ceremonial out of the ten. The other nine is what? 
Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Keep no other gods before him. Have no idols. And then don't, you know, covet your, your neighbor's wife. Honor your father and your mother. Obey your parents. How many are happy for these things? Thou shalt not murder. Okay, how many remember hearing these things in the book of Hebrews? Amen. So let's go back to our chart, please. So the law of Christ transcends all of these covenants, or, or I mean all of these ages, and the old and new covenant, and by the way, the new covenant carries into the kingdom age, which we'll get to in just a moment. Say to your neighbor, this is just the introduction. I mean, I haven't even got to the message yet. I'm just clarifying what we talked about last week, okay? I just wanted to give you guys a chart of this. So now everybody just download this. It's basic, but it can be forgotten and easily overlooked. In the Old Testament, do we do it the way they did it? No, but do we have the same heart for Christ as they did? Yes, that law of Christ applies to them the same to us. Did they love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? Were they told not to murder? Were they told not to steal? Can I hear an amen? Obey their parents? Okay, we keep those same laws that way. But do we, do we look at whether or not we mix two claws together like they had to? Do we pay attention to the food that we eat on whether or not it was clean or unclean? Or if you touch somebody at the funeral, you can't go to church now. Do we do, we do that? No. Okay. But does that mean it didn't have a purpose? No, it did. It did have a purpose. It served, that, uh, it served a purpose for that time period, specifically for Israel, so that the Messiah could come. If the Messiah did not have a nation to be born to, he would not have been protected. How many know they tried to kill Moses when he was in that nation there, right? And when Israel was occupied by Rome, they tried to kill him again. So his nation was there to protect him and keep him safe, even though sometimes that nation was oppressed. But those people were there to keep him safe. Those were the Israelite people to keep their prophets and their leaders safe. Guess what else the Israelites did? They showed us how you can't keep the law. They served as an example of how bad you can mess up and still be loved by Jesus. Has anybody ever related to the people of Israel messing up and Jesus still loving you? Few of you, you all getting quiet. Go to Ezekiel 23. Let me show you how bad they messed up, but Jesus still loved them. How many know Jesus loves a trick and a hoe? I'm going to say it again. How many know Jesus loves a trick and a hoe? How many know that's Bible language? I said, how many know that's Bible language? See, y'all get quiet when I say it in English like the way you understand 21st century, but what does that title say right there? How many adulterous sisters? What's, yeah, two. That's, that's the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. That, that's the, the, uh, the, 12, the 10 tribes of the south and the two tribes of the north right here, or, or rather the 10 of the north and the two of the south, okay? This is, this is what's happening right here. Look at what he says to them. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. There were two women, daughters of the same mother. They became what? Oh, y'all get quiet in this Presbyterian church. Can I get a Pentecostal prostitute up in here to say the word? Not, you know, can I get a shout of the word prostitute? Let me be careful. I'm a Pentecostal prostitute, Pastor. No, 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 no. Help me, Jesus. Can I get somebody to shout prostitute like you a Pentecostal? They became prostitutes in Egypt, engaging in what? Prostitution from their youth. Keep reading. This is the Bible. In that land, their breasts were fondled and their virgin bosoms caressed. Did you know that was in the Bible? Some of you did. See, I told you, man, I always find stuff that my Christian wife, after 20-plus years of being in the church, never read. They were getting fondled, their breasts is getting touched and all that. Yes, yes. Prostitutes, tricks, hoes, whatever you want to say, only fan. I mean, what name do you want to call it? It's up to you. But what does the Bible say? They were prostitutes. This is how they were acting. The older name was Ohala. And her sister was Ohalaba. They were mine. Somebody say they were mine. 
Come on, somebody say they were mine. Amen. They were mine and gave birth to sons and daughters. Ahola is Samaria. That's the northern kingdom. And Aholaba is Jerusalem. That's the southern kingdom. Just make sure the southern kingdom is Jerusalem, please. I just, sometimes I get them confused. They divided by 10 and 2, north and south, and sometimes I just get those confused. I want to make sure I'm giving that to you right here. Ohola engaged in prostitution while she was what? Still mine. Somebody say, still mine. So she was turning out tricks while she was still with Jesus. She was tricking on Jesus, right? She was prostituting while she was on Jesus. Okay, I was right. Jerusalem, southern kingdom. Ten kingdoms, northern kingdom, Samaria as their capital. Okay. Ohola engaged in prostitution while she was still mine, and she lusted after her lovers. The Assyrians, warriors, clothed in blue, governors and commanders, all of them handsome young men and mounted horsemen. She gave herself as a prostitute to all the elite of the Assyrians, and she defiled herself with all the idols of everyone she lusted after. She did not give up the prostitution she began in Egypt when during, the, during her youth men slept with her, caressed her virgin bosom, and poured out their lust on her. Therefore, I delivered her into the hands of her lovers, the Assyrians. That's when the northern kingdom got brought into captivity. I brought her into the hands of the Assyrians from whom she lusted. They stripped her naked, took away her sons and daughters, killed her with the sword. She became a byword among women, and punishment was afflicted on her. You think that's it? No, that's only the northern kingdom. The tricking still goes on with the southern kingdom. Her sister, Aloaba, saw this, yet in her lust and prostitution, she was more what? She was more depraved than her sister. She lusted too after the Assyrians, governors and commanders, warriors in full dress, mounted horsemen, and all handsome young men. I saw that she too defiled herself, both of them, in the same way. You see how much these people disappointed God? But how many know God's still kind to them? I said, how many know God still loved them? Now go all the way to the end of Ezekiel and see his grace. That's how he rebukes them. Hallelujah. Now you get to the, the promises that God's going to give them right here. Look at uh, Ezekiel chapter 47, verse 21. You are to distribute this land among yourselves according to the tribes of Israel. You are to allot it as an inheritance for yourselves and for the foreigners residing among you and who have children. You are to consider them as native-born Israelites among, uh, along with, with, with you they that are to be allotted an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. In whatever tribe a foreigner resides, they are to give the land their inheritance, describes, uh, declares the, the sovereign Lord. He, he ends by giving them back the land he kicked them out of. Your prostitutes, you're going to go now into captivity. How does he end it? He gives them back the land. Now go back to our, uh, our chart up here, please. See, during the church age, they lost the land in 70 A.D. That was prophesied to them. But then they were said that they would get the land back. How many can, see, how many can say the kingdom age? Come on, somebody say the kingdom age. The kingdom age is happening right now in a seed form with Israel returning back to the land. And they're going to be there until Jesus comes back. But they will be at war until the Antichrist comes where there will be a temporary peace. But then that peace will be broken with them. And then the Antichrist is going to des destroy them. But God is going to spare 144,000 of them. And then they will usher in the kingdom of God upon this earth. Now I want everybody to understand this. When we hear these scriptures about the kingdom of God, this is where we are going towards. Okay? Repent ye for the kingdom of what is at hand. What does it say? The kingdom of... God is at hand, right? Be born again, right? Because unless you are born again, you will not see what? 
The kingdom of God. Can you think of other scriptures? Seek ye first what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added unto you. Paul's saying the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Can I hear an amen for the kingdom of God? Also the deeds of the flesh, that those who live like this, Galatians 5.21, they shall not inherit what? The kingdom of God. Okay, so now you understand the kingdom of God's coming, but what's he talking about? He's talking about a combination of these two now coming back on the earth. You're going to rule and reign with Christ, the Bible says. We're going to be kings and priests. Amen. You all ready for this? Go to Revelation chapter 1 and put it in the King James, please. We need to get ready for this, and this is where I want to spend the last bit of my message, which I've been trying to get to for the last few weeks, but I wanted to encourage you. This is what the Bible says. You're all supposed to be leaders because you're going to be kingdoms, king, a kingdom of priests. Kings and priests, Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, in the King James. Notice what it says here. And he hath made us what? And he hath made us what? Kings and what? Priests unto God his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. You all ready to do that? Well, let's go back to Hebrews because now you got to learn how to do that. That's the introduction. I wanted to explain it a little bit, Brother Carlos, because last week I was talking about ages and the kingdom, and I know people were getting confused. Before we get there, uh, just Rudy put up that one more time. Now hopefully you all understand what leadership looks like throughout the Bible. I'll put the chart up there, please. When you're looking at the Old Testament, you're gathering the leadership in their age. You're not going to imitate them exactly, but you're understanding that that's the same Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. In the kingdom age, his boot is, is going to crush his enemies. The Bible says that he will bring forth the grapes of his wrath and the blood will be as high as a horse's head on the day of Armageddon. That, that boot uh, kicking, stomping Jesus is coming back. Amen? And the Bible says the enemy will lick your, your boots as well. How many ready for that? Now, you're not supposed to get them to lick your boots now, but they're going to do it then. Let me just show that to you real quick because that was part of the review. Go to Isaiah 49, 23, and they're going to work your fields. Isaiah 61, 5. Put it down two verses, please. Now you can understand why some of the cult owners, uh, the, the cult slave owners of the South thought they had entered the kingdom age, taking Kuta Kinte and putting him on the field and then calling themselves Christians. Now you can understand their argument. But were they right to do that? No, because they were implementing kingdom punishments in the church age. Did they have the right to implement church, uh, kingdom punishments in the church age? But how many know in the kingdom age there are going to be servants? Y'all ain't going to be treated the same. And here's the thing. It's not a skin issue. It's a sin issue. It is not going to be determined on whether or not your skin is different or you came from a different culture. What it's going to be determined on is are you in the kingdom of God as a king or a priest? Because if you're not, you're serving kings and priests. He said to them, look at this. I think you got the right one here. Isaiah 49, 23. Isaiah 49, 23. This is what he says the kingdom age is going to be like. Now here, by the way, this is where sometimes it gets confusing when people are reading the prophets. Go back to that chart real quick so people can see this. Did you know that, especially in the Old Testament, that the prophets are talking about all three ages? I'll prove it to you right now. Isaiah. You all with me in Isaiah? How many know chapter 1 is about their age? How many know chapter 7 is about our age? Which in chapter 7? And behold, the virgin shall be with what? Child. That's church age. Now you're going to hear about kingdom age. After Jesus has come and the church has been established. You all paying attention? Some of you all just like, I just read Isaiah and I think it's all just for those people. No, it just wasn't just for them. Isaiah is also for us. As a matter of fact, Jesus' first coming has only about 300 prophecies throughout all the Old Testament prophets. Jesus' second coming, somebody say kingdom age. Yeah. 
has over a thousand prophecies. What do you think they're talking about more? What do you think Isaiah is talking about more? Jesus coming the first time or the second time? Second time. Now you know why the, the, the Jews were missing him. Because all the other stuff they were looking at in the prophets, he wasn't doing. He was supposed to be conquering the nation. That's in the kingdom age. They, they were like, why aren't you doing this? Remember in Acts chapter 1, is this now when you give, us the, uh, uh, give the keys of the kingdom to the people of Israel? And he said, it's not about you to know the dates or time. I remember that. It's because that's all they talked about. And then remember, they said that a village wasn't listening to them. And, and, and the disciples said to Jesus, should we call down fire right now? What are they talking about? Kingdom age type stuff. And they got that fire from the prophets. That fire is coming on the nation. It just wasn't during the church age. Amen. Come on, somebody. Let me show you they're going to kiss the boots. Let me show you right here. Kings will be your foster fathers and their queens your nursing mothers. So I want you to take anybody you see right now in charge, they're going to be your babysitters. Bill Gates, come watch my kids. I got work to do. Come over here, queen of whatever, queen of England, come watch my kids. I got work to do. Kings and queens will be your foster fathers and your nursing mothers. They will bow down before you, their faces to the ground. They will lick the dust at your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those whose hope in me will not be disappointed. Do you all get scared when you read parts of the Bible like that? Now you know why conquistadors thought they were right. I'm going to be your daddy. It's time for me to take over your king. But they were going to hell with the people they thought they were better than, weren't they? I said they were going to hell with the people they thought they were better than, weren't they? Where the conquistadors go, they go to hell. Where the slave traders go, according to the Bible. They go to hell. First Timothy chapter 2, go there quickly. You can't, you can't be taking slaves. That's why whoever took Kutakinte is going to hell. Look at what it says right here. First Timothy chapter 1, rather. First Timothy chapter 1. You, you start trying to conquer nations. Scroll down a little bit, please, for me. You start, you start trying to conquer nations. You start trying to do it your way, you're going to go to hell with the people you think you're better than. Look at what it says here. We know that the law is made for the righteous, uh, not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers, the rebels, the ungodly, the sinful, the unholy, the irreligious, for those who kill their fathers and mothers. Now look at the category this is put into. For murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing what? You better know where that's in the Bible. And for what else? Slave traders, they go to hell. Amen? That's clear. There ain't no doubt about that. But are there going to be servants in the kingdom of God? Absolutely. Go back to the book of uh, Isaiah, please. The kings, they'll be your foster fathers. That means they're going to be babysitting them. Queens, nursing mothers. That, if you remember when uh, Moses was put down the Nile and the daughter of Pharaoh found, found baby Moses, uh, she didn't know how to take care of him. So the sister, Miriam, said to the woman, said, I know a woman that will take care of her. And that ended up being Moses' mother. You all know that story? That's because back then, important people didn't nurse their own children. So what it's saying is you see all these pagan leaders, they think they're so important. Listen, they're going to be the one that will be your servants. They'll bow down before you with their faces to the ground. They'll lick the dust at your feet. Okay, now go to Isaiah 61.5. They'll also work the fields. How many know in the millennial reign there's going to be work being done in the kingdom? You all believe that? When Jesus comes back after the battle of Armageddon, what do you think the world looks like? We got baby, uh, naked baby angels flying around with wings. What do, you think that, what do you think the world looks like, people? The Bible says strangers will shepherd your flocks, foreigners will work your fields, and you will be called what? You will be called what? Priests of God, you will be named what? Ministers of our God, and you will what? Feed on the wealth of what? Nations, and in their riches you will what? Boast. China, thank you very much. I'll take that wealth right now. <laughs> See, some of y'all are not kingdom-minded. The Bible says, seek ye first the what? Church on Sunday in your choir. No, seek ye first the what? Kingdom. Y'all want to be leaders or what? 
I'm going to show you a parable at the end. i got to close this out with Jesus talking, but some of you, you get lost in the Old Testament. These were prophecies about the kingdom to come. Show me after Isaiah where the nations became the servants of Israel. After the time of Isaiah, they still oppressed by Babylon. Remember Daniel and his friends. Then a little bit later, they get to come back with Nehemiah and Ezra. How many know that? They get to build their temple. And then just a few years later, who comes and conquers them? According to Daniel's prophecy, who comes? The Greeks. Greeks, Alexander the Great then conquers them. And then after that, who conquers them? Rome. Jesus comes on the scene. Who's ruling over them? Well, when did this come to pass? When did kings become their babysitters? When did priests become their wet nurses? When did the strangers start working their fields so they could feast on their nations? I will prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. When did all that happen? So I ain't talking about that time then, is it? It's talking about the age to come. The Bible talks about an age to come. Go back now to Hebrews, please, chapter 13. Are you going to be a leader? Because Jesus is going to end, we're going to end this service today with a parable, and it's up to you what you do with it. Because this idea that we're all going to get to heaven, we're all going to be treated the same, is hogwash. It is not true. The Bible says some of you all going to be working for others in heaven. When, we, when I say heaven, I mean heaven coming to earth. Some of you all going to be working for Sister Rosa, who's been working in the church, but you've been getting all your money. And what did the Bible say? Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not just on this earth. So some people are going to be rich on earth, but then when they get judged, somebody like our deacon Rosa is going to be over them. Well, I thought I just got to go to heaven, stay up there. No, no, no. Heaven comes down to earth. You see, the Bible says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in. Kingdom's coming. Choo-choo. Where are you at? I can't wait till he comes because they're going to be shouting out, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. And what are Christians going to be shouting out? Oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes. Yes and amen. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. See, people used to believe kingdom talk. People used to believe kingdom talk. Now you think we talk make-believe, yet they spend all this money for, for their Marvel talk. They want Batman talk. They want men in shorts or in tight sport talk. Let's talk kingdom talk. Let's talk king and priest talk. Let's talk ruling and reigning with Christ type stuff. Because now, brothers and sisters, that's going to keep you out of sin. Why am I putting 20,000 hours to the Lord? Because I know I'm going to be with him in the kingdom to come a lot longer than I was here. Well, pastor, don't you know that time you were spending with Jesus, you could have went to the gym and got a six-pack. Baby, I may not have a six-pack, but you should see what my Holy Ghost packs look like. I always say to my friends in the gym, you better see what I look like spiritually, baby. Are you listening to me? Oh, pastor, you wasted all your time preaching. Why didn't you just become a stockbroker? Why didn't you become a pilot? Why didn't you become a millionaire and all those other ways? I still believe Christians can be millionaires, and I hope every one of us can be great on our jobs. But listen, I'm a trillionaire in the kingdom of God. Our streets are made of gold. Gravel is what you put in your teeth right now, baby. I'm walking on it in Jesus' name. We're going to be crowned with the crowns of our good works. Now, you might be thinking to yourself quickly in closing right now. You might think to yourself, everybody get this, because I know you. I'm your pastor, and I love you. You might say to yourself, Pastor, I know you're telling me the truth. I didn't know it, but I know now. That's amazing. You showed us some cool stuff in the Bible, but I don't see that being very relevant. It's like you just taught me about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. That's cool. I didn't know that. But now, what am I going to do with that? Go with me to Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, as Daryl comes, please. I'm going to tell you what we're going to do with it. We're supposed to be leaders. And Jesus taught us to look at the world this way. Look at, look at this. 
Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones. So we're going to be ruled by the 12 disciples. That's why I put up there the 12 nations. Each disciple will be over a nation, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Come on, somebody. I hope you get encouraged by this because I know I've paid a price for serving Jesus. I know that if I was telling you jokes or if I was teaching I would be a millionaire like Tony Robbins, there wouldn't be an empty seat here. I've got friends that I trade with because I day trade on the side. They got 5,000 people on any live feed because they all just want to know when to buy and sell. Yet I'm talking about kingdom business, and it's boring to people even in this generation. But I thank you for being here. I'm not upset with you. I'm upset with those who didn't come. No, I'm kidding. I know preachers, we always yell at the ones who came but not the ones who did. But listen, look at the empty chairs. They don't take it serious. They don't take it. Our church is about two or three hundred. We should always have every, first service is almost always packed now, but second service, this is, you know, in our church it's a little different. A lot of times in most churches, first service is the lame one, but the second service is the on fire one. Our first service is, is, is the bigger one. Our second one is the smaller one. But listen, but listen, this church easily could have three, four, five hundred people here every week. Everybody who calls Metro praise their church. We got so many people who say, I love you, Pastor. I love this church. But you only see them once a month, once every other month. You know what I'm talking about. They come and go as they please. They do that on their job? No. They do that when they go to school? No. No, because they believe in their kingdom more than they believe in this kingdom. But you see, there's going to be a time where you're rewarded for what you did in this world when that world comes, when that age comes. That new world comes, that new age comes. Everybody talking about the new world order? I ain't talking about a conspiracy with the Illuminati. I'm talking about Peter, Paul, and James coming to rule with Christ on the earth and his disciples being with him. And I'm talking about us becoming priests and kings. And those kind of people that we used to laugh at, when, you know, when I wasn't a Christian, we laughed at these church people, or they're laughing at you right now. They're not going to be laughing when they're bowing before you, kissing the dust off your feet. And realizing, man, you put in kingdom work, and that means something. Because what you see here doesn't always last. You're going to be in the kingdom longer than you're a mother. So you better put the kingdom first over your motherhood because you can't be a good one without the kingdom. You're going to be in the kingdom a lot longer than you're going to be a doctor or an engineer. So you better put Christ on your job now. Come on, somebody. Look at Luke chapter 19, verse 11, just quickly in closing. Jesus told this parable so we could get it. He said, while they, the Bible says, while they were listening, he went on to tell them a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at what? At once. They thought that kingdom age is coming right now. So we better get ready. Let's go to war. Let's fight the, the, the Jewish, uh, the enemies of the Jewish people, the Romans. The Messiah is coming, Armageddon. All those prophecies that we read. Caesar getting down, kissing Jesus' feet. But now Jesus had to say to them a parable. And think about the profoundness of this. We're almost 2,000 years from this. How much more so do we need to think about it? We're always so ready for Jesus to come. But we don't understand until he comes, we got to be busy doing kingdom work. So he says a noble man, a, no, a man of noble birth went to a distant country. And this, let me give it to you now because I don't have time to preach it all. But this is Jesus going to heaven after his resurrection. So a man of a noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed as king and then to return. Isn't that awesome? Jesus goes to heaven as appointed king of kings and now he's coming. 
So he called 10 of his servants. There's another one that's similar to this, but we're talking about this one right now. How many servants did he have? 10 servants. Thank you. And he gave them 10 minus. Okay? This is about anywhere, depending on how they, they marketed, I mean, uh, the market value at this time, anywhere between 10,000 to 100,000. So he's giving out some money. How many would take 10,000? Even if it's not 100,000, you still take it right now. So wherever that falls on that line, so it's either 10,000 or 100,000. When you learn about the bags of gold, some people estimate that being in the millions. When you learn about the parable of the talent, similar to this, by the way, but they estimate those bags of gold were with millions. So here these are with thousands. What does he say? Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. Here it is. I'm just going to tell it to you as I preach it right now because I, I can't get into all the details. Let the Lord speak to you as you read it. That money that he gives them is representative of the time that we have on earth. If I said to you, I'll give you $10,000 or I'll give you back a lost loved one, what you, what you taking? Lost loved one, right? You're not taking the money. You would always take the lost one. If I said to you, I'll give you a million dollars or I'll give you two extra years to live, what are you taking? The time. Time is worth everything to us. It's, it, you can't even put a price tag on it, right? So this is the illustration. He's giving them money like how God gives us time. He's telling them in the parable, put that money to work. He's telling to us, put that time to work. And as the old timers used to say, the talents, put your talents to work for Jesus. Because talent there was a way of talking about money, but you can play off that word talent like, look, I can dance, you know. So put your talents to work. Everybody get that? Okay, 10 servants given 10 minus, thousands of dollars. And he says, put this to work until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. Don't come back to the United Methodist Church anymore. Now we got the rainbow flag, lesbian pastors. We don't want that Jesus to come back anymore. Don't come back to the Anglican church. We are now ordaining homosexuals. Come on, somebody say, God have mercy. You see how the church has changed since, he has been back, uh, since he's been gone? That's what's happening here. These people who were given that responsibility, many of them have said, I don't want him to come back. We don't want this man to be our king. Backsliders, I don't want him now. I like the way the world is the way it is. Verse 15, he was made king, however, and returned home. Whether they like it or not, he's still the king of kings, lord of lords, and he's returning back, not as a baby in a manger, but as a conquering king riding a horse. Amen? Get right or get left. Get on it or get run over by it. It's up to you. He's coming either way. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they did. Somebody say judgment day. Come on, to find out how much they gained. Well, I'm just a Christian and I love Jesus. Stand before your maker and be judged now. Well, I just went to church on Christmas and Easter. I'm a Christian. Stand before your God. Well, I used my talents to make a lot of money, and every now and then I gave. It wasn't even a tithe, but I gave it away. When I stand before your God, meet your maker now. That's, I'm going to stand before. I'm not just talking about you. I'm going to stand. Tell me what you did. I'm going to have to tell them what I did. I'm not going to have no hype group. I'm not going to have no amens, no books. Tell me what you did. Did you love my people? When I called you at 18, did you start preaching when I told you to preach? Did you go where I told you to go? How many know for me to hear him say, go to the Kalio Projects, how many know I thought that was the devil at first? Get behind me saying, I ain't going into the Kalio Projects. When I started coming here to Boricua Fest at, at, at uh, Humble Park, Puerto Ricans told me, we don't even go there. God told me to go there. 
I've been out there gunshots firing, still preaching the gospel. You better go where God tells you to go. I told this story before. God told me to go to Pakistan when they were looking for Osama bin Laden. I ended up finding them in Pakistan, but God told me to go there. They hate Christians there. How many were here when we had one sitting over here? And I pointed to him. I said, they're killing you out there, aren't you? Aren't they? And he said, yes. I said, we pray for Pakistan. God called me to go that they denied my visa. But I had to pray walking around my neighbor. Talk about 20,000 hours. That hour felt like a long one. I said, Jesus, are you sure you want me to go? Because what if they take me? Don't bring me back. God said, you can't use your family as an idol now. I gave them to you. I can take them away. You fill out that visa. You're going to Pakistan. Should I allow it? I'm testing your heart. What you do with your life. We're going to be held accountable. Did dad sing for you or did she sing for Jesus? Audience of one. There's going to be millionaires up there. Did you make your money for yourself so you could have your boat and your crib and all that? Did you do it for Jesus? I'm not saying you can't have money in this world. I'm just saying, who did you do it for? He's going to put you right in front of him, naked as you came into this world. You're going to be before him and his eyes will see it all. He says, now I want you to tell me what you have done. First one came. Hallelujah. This reminds me of Brother TJ. First one came. Sir. Your minor has earned 10 more, but thou, hallelujah, it multiplied. How many would I get 10 times their money back? If I told you to put 1,000 on Tesla tomorrow, you could get 10,000, would you do it? Some of you are like, no, I wouldn't trust your pastor. But I'm saying if I really knew it, <laughs> man, you tell me where I can get 10 times my money right now. I'll put 100000 on it. That's why people are going to GameStop, throwing their life savings away. Be careful in the stock market. But this man said, like I can see a brother TJ, Jesus... This is what you gave me. And every day I went out and worked it. And sometimes they didn't like what I had to say, but I kept preaching. Sometimes they didn't like what I had to say, to them, but I kept preaching. Sometimes they let me down, but I kept inviting them over to my house for a Bible study. I kept being a leader. Sometimes I invited my mom. She came. Sometimes she didn't come, but I kept inviting her. Sometimes my friends from high school, they came. You remember, we've seen you fill up. If all of the ones that he's invited is from his high school, we'd have half this church filled right now. Some of them missing even right now that we baptize. But he's going to show God, I got 10 more. Well done, my good and faithful servant. How many have heard that before? I, I know I'm preaching it now. I was going to go through it quickly, but let's let the Lord lead us, please. Well done, my good and faithful servant. He said, because you have been trustworthy. This is Jesus talking. In a very small matter, man, $100,000 small to God? Yeah, in a very small matter, you shall what? You shall what? Take charge of 10 cities. <laughs> Beijing, hand your keys over to TJ. He's in charge. Gary, get your keys, hand them over to TJ. He's in charge. This is the king now over Beijing, over Gary. How many would be in a happy place if TJ was your king over those, those lands. Jesus is the king of what? Jesus is the king of what? Kings. Kings. Where are kings at here today? And then he just goes through it. Man, here I made some more. I made some more. I made five more. Go to verse 20. Just, these men are getting blessed. These sisters, these, these servants of the Lord. But then now this one. See, here is your mina. I kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. See, that's when people don't understand Jesus. Oh, Jesus is so mean. He makes us give up everything we like to do. I just thought, Jesus, you were just too strict. So I just, you know, I just kind of did the bare minimum. I didn't lose it. I didn't go to Belmont and Clark and buy a prostitute and do crystal meth as some pastors have been caught doing. No, I didn't do that. I just kept it. 
I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. So you, you make things happen where nothing else can happen. Verse 22, his master says, I will judge you by your own words. You what kind of servant? Wicked servant. So everybody get this. You mean to tell me that Jesus gave us a parable that said if we don't get out there and multiply, we're wicked? Some of you all define your Christian life on what you don't do. Oh, I don't get drunk anymore, Pastor. I don't smoke weed anymore, Pastor. I don't, I don't cheat on my wife or husband anymore. Yeah, but what you do for God? You better tell me what you do. When was the last time you preached the gospel? When was the last time you took somebody to church? When was the last time you went out with us to the abortion clinic or went out to feed the needy? When was the last time you stood in front of a high school and warned young people about heaven and hell, you know? Oh, Pastor, I just don't do the bad stuff. It's just about the bad stuff you don't do. What do you do? He said, I'm going to judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man taking out what I did not put in? You knew I died on the cross and you wouldn't even stand up here? You knew they hung me naked, they beat me, and you won't even go over here and preach? You knew how they did me and you won't stand up for me over here after I stood up for you when you were a sinner? You won't let them know who your king is? I want to let this world know right now I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And when the martyr's blood is spilled, I don't die, I multiply. If they lay down their lives for years and years and years, we ain't ashamed of them now. They were taking Polycarp to be martyred. He was one of the oldest ones still left alive after hanging out with John the Apostle. And they said to him, he was 80 plus years old, they said, listen, old man, we don't want to kill you. They were putting him in front of uh, the arenas. They were lions, and, and they were setting him on fire. Man, they were torturing these Christians. They said to this old man, we don't want to do you like that. We don't want to do you like that. Just deny him now, and we'll let you go. Polycarp, who knew the Lord from a young age, said, 80 years have I known him, and he has never done me wrong. How can I deny him now? Get me going to meet him now. I'm going. And another, another uh, uh, church father, Ignatius, said, you're going to feed me the lions? Then I'll be that lion's communion bread today. Put me in his mouth. I'm going to heaven. I'm his communion. Brothers or sisters, let's take courage in these last days. You knew I worked hard and you didn't do anything about it. Then why didn't you just put it in the, in the, in the deposit it, put that money in the bank? Then you at least kept interest. Why, you know, you say you weren't called to be a preacher, but why didn't you go out with TJ? Or you say, man, oh, you know, I'm not that good at Bible study, but why didn't you go faithfully to the one that was and then hand out flyers? Why didn't you do something? And then he said to those standing by, look at my Jesus. Somebody say, it's my Jesus. This ain't Oprah's Jesus. This ain't uh, Deepak Chopra's Jesus. This ain't that Jesus that you get when you go, uh, you know, study about comparative religions that's like Buddha. No, this is my Jesus. Somebody say, my Jesus. I hope he's your Jesus because he's my Jesus. He said, take his mina away from him and give it to the one that has ten. Sir, he already got ten. This is why we know God's not a socialist. He already got ten. He don't need any more. Man, it's going to be blessed for those who are blessed up there. He, they said, man, he already got enough. He replied, I tell you that everyone who has even more will be given to him. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. And then now go get those enemies of mine who did not want me king over them. Bring them here and kill them in front of me. Last time I checked, red letters meant Jesus talking. Why aren't we kingdom focused as the band comes? Just quickly, just quickly, band, come up here, please. Why aren't we like this? 
Why do I got to beg and plead so often for people to do something for Jesus? I know this is a great church. I love you guys. I really do. I'm just saying, why is it still a, a, a hard job sometimes to be a pastor? We went out to the abortion clinic yesterday. It was the big shindig. I told you guys all about it. They had 200 people. We have more than 200 people in this church. I know you're busy. I'm not saying you can't be busy. My wife couldn't make it. She had already had plans. I know not everybody can do it, but I'm saying, did, did you even check? Did you even look at the calendar? Did you even see, can I join this thing? They're killing babies in abortion clinics. We're out there to adopt them and to save them. Why aren't we going out there? I still look at my, my statistics for our, our, our evangelism every single week. I look at the statistics. How many do we have? How many do we have? Sometimes it's only about a tenth of you, 10% of you going out and preaching the word. What you doing, man? Oh, I talked to my friend over here. I talked to my friend. Oh, so what you're basically saying is you got enough already of the minus? You've already multiplied enough? Man, I know I haven't. I know I want to go up there with a lot of good works, man. Well, but you said, Pastor, we're not saved by good works. In another sermon, we're saved by faith. I didn't say this is based on your salvation. Did I say that you were going to hell? No, the ones that go to hell didn't want them to be king. Y'all got that right here, right? I'm talking about the one for the reward. I'm not the one that's going to be handcuffed to you on your reward. I'm trying to hear, get you a reward. I'm trying. Do you all hear me today as your pastor? I'm trying because I want you to be the one that has the tent. Because on that day, it's not going to matter if I was the pastor. This, you're right. This right here is my job. One hour, I preached to you a little bit over today. Somebody give me a bonus mint, right? I get my bonus mint today. My wife gives me a five-minute extra long back row. That's all I get for going a couple minutes. OT. I don't get paid more. You all get this, right? I could have gone home early like you, but check this out. After this, we all got work to do. I better get out there and start loving on my neighbors. I got Hindu neighbors. I got Muslim neighbors. I got backslidden Christian neighbors. I better love on this woman who cut my hair. I was talking to her, man. You going to church? No, I'm not going to church. I got to help her. I got to teach her about Jesus. We, we can't just close our eyes to the problems of this world. Remember when we were at the high schools the other day? We were out there, man, they were boxing. Nothing wrong with boxing, but, man, they're just always filled with that violence and that hurt and that pain. And we were standing out there in front of Prosser, and I said, so many of y'all young people, you ask where the church is. We're right here. You're asking for a sign. I got one for you. 6-1 soldier from Fort Wayne right here, baby. I'm assigned to you. God saves lives. But we can't do it alone. Every person here has got to pray this week and say, am I giving my all? Because I know you're busy. We're in inflation. I know money is expensive. I mean, if things are expensive, the money doesn't go as far. But I'm talking about you giving away your, the stuff that you have for free. Our children's ministry on Wednesday could use more workers there. The Friday youth ministry, use more workers there. The evangelism ministry, you still going out tonight? TJ, what time are you going out tonight? Two o'clock today. So, I mean, that's another opportunity. I'm, listen, I'm not trying to put this pressure on you the wrong way. But what I am trying to say is get out there and do something. Go out there and do something for Jesus. We're going to be judged by this. I told you all about that car accident I was in, right? Did I tell you about that? Was that the first service? I was in a car accident on my way to go preach somewhere Friday. And that car hit me, man. I saw it coming because I knew I was coming to a quick stop. I was on the expressway, and I was looking at my review mirror, man. I saw that thing coming, and I just knew it's, it's, this thing's going to hit me. Jesus, keep me safe. And thank God nobody got hurt, but their car got told and mine got bashed up in the back. And this whole mess happened out there, and I was talking to these young girls because there was three girls. They had just graduated from the Naval Academy. And I said to them, I'll tell you what, you look at that car, somebody could have died right there. 
My sister died in a car accident. The other month we buried one of our young people, 16-year-old, helping his father change a tire, got hit by the, the, the tire of the car, right? Boom. What, and I told my kids this. What happens now if daddy's gone? Hello, is this Nancy Wyrostick? I'm sorry to tell you this, but I'm officer so-and-so. And your husband has been killed in a car accident. We need you to come down to the morgue. I said to my kids, what happened if that, if that what would you do if that happened? You going to stop living for Jesus because daddy's not here now? Life and death is real. You never know when it's going to come. We're going to face it, people. And we got to give an account for this life. And here's my, my plea as I close out in prayer because I can't keep you any longer. I know I can't. Otherwise, you'll never come back. But my plea is that all of us will get that assignment. No one had to tell me to go to the Calio projects. I knew I had to go. Lawrence and I, he helps me lead the high school project. No one told us, did they? No one said, Joe, Joe, you got to go here. Lawrence, you got to go here. No, God told me to do that. What's God telling you? Father, I ask in the name of Jesus, before we stand up and dismiss, that you speak to our hearts, our assignments in the kingdom. You've told us to be leaders, and you've told us to imitate the leaders we've already seen, and that, Lord, people are looking up to us, and that we need to be an example, and that people need to follow us as we follow you. I pray right now, Lord, if anyone here is not already a Christian, the first decision they'll make is to be a Christian. And for those of us who are already Christians, you'll give us assignments. Lord, you'll send us to where we're supposed to be, whether it's downtown to the high-rises, whether it's to the high schools, to the colleges, to our jobs, to the ministries that the church has established. Lord, I pray we'll get an assignment, and those of us who already got them, Lord, will do them. No holding back. And I pray against the lies of the devil that would discourage any person here. Satan, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus that would have you keep them in their past or to change their identity or to feel discouraged and want to give up. Lord, I pray for strength to rise up here for your warriors, for your soldiers, oh God, to be kingdom aligned, kingdom focused. In the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Can you stand up as you bless them, saints? I know I went long. Thank you for your, your patience. Altar workers, would you come? We're going to close out.